It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Auburn Podcast. Zach Blackerby, Painter Sharpless, Michael Pappas here with you. How are we doing, gents? Can't complain. I feel like we had a, a radio segment just like this earlier today. Approximately two hours ago. You hung out with Coach Dye for a, for a solid hour. How'd that go? Clay Helton was on the phone. Yeah, He's a former Auburn guy. Yes. Not a lot of people know that. Yeah, I think he was both at Auburn and Houston, if I'm not mistaken, as a quarterback. And mm-hmm. then uh, people, it's pretty well documented, I think, over the last few years that USC's had some ups and downs between Lane Kiffin and Ed Orgeron and Clay Helton, and, and he has had some ups and downs. Right. They've had some success with him as coach, and they've also, I think, had a five-win season with him as head coach. So this is a big year for him. A lot of people were excited about JT Daniels and the potential he offered at quarterback. I think it's like Coach Malzahn, a, a very important year for Clay Helton. I think probably one that could determine if he's back at USC next season. I just He'll you, be back, and for one reason and one reason only. What's that? Graham Harrell. The new OC? You a big fan? I'm a huge fan of Graham Harrell. You remember him from the uh, Texas, Texas Tech. Tech Michael Crabtree days yes. with Mike Leach. You'll remember him as the quarterback who beat out Auburn quarterback Chris Todd for that job before Chris Todd came to Auburn. Uh-huh. You'll remember him as the offensive coordinator for a North Texas team that went into Arkansas and won by 30 last season. To be fair, just about everyone did that, but North Texas... Uh... No, Alabama didn't even do that. They only won by 20. Okay. I'm just saying. And Arkansas put up three points on North Texas. They put up 30 on Alabama. Is your flash on your phone on? Yeah, it is. You are lit, literally talking about Graham Harrell right now. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped, dude. I love Graham Harrell. I love the... Uh, that Texas Tech-Texas game that year is one of the best football games I've ever watched. I think most of us, you know, if you were probably like more than 10, yeah, for those people listening, which I assume is most of you now... Like you, you, when you think of Graham Harrell, you also then associate him with Michael Crabtree and what seemed to be a pretty easy, just push the guy out of bounds. I loved that team so much. When Michael Crabtree got drafted by the 49ers, I bought a Crabtree 49ers jersey. Really? I think that was the first jersey I bought with my own money, actually. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. All right. So the big story yesterday, uh, and it's I guess it's also worth mentioning that. Alabama beat Arkansas 65-31. to 31. Yikes, I was wrong. <laughs> but you're right. I they don't did hear you say that a whole lot. <laughs> they did score 31 points against Alabama, which is more than I would have thought. I guess that was a weird game because there was yeah. like a moment in that game where Arkansas looked like they were going to compete, and then the second half happened. The Locked On Auburn podcast uh, research team is, is top-notch. We appreciate Google. Yeah, it's undefeated. Ask Jeeves. So, <laughs> the real ones, remember? Yes. So the, the big story yesterday with Anthony Schwartz, the news of him, he was going to undergo surgery on his hand. It appears that that surgery went well. And so uh, it doesn't seem like anyone's been told by any particular source the timetable of this. A lot of folks guessing four to six weeks. Painter, I've heard eight weeks. You've heard up as eight weeks now, and that's obviously not what um, not I mean, what Auburn fans want to hear. Pretty much anything broken, I think, generally, like especially because we talked about this yesterday. Like there are some things where you can kind of tape it up, club it up, and you. But like for him at that position, it's simply not an option. So I would think six weeks is probably a pretty safe bet. But I've heard eight weeks. 
Yeah, if he's a defensive back or you know a, a defensive tackle or something like that, I think you could possibly club it up. But it's not that probably doesn't work for him quite as well, right? So I mean, then it kind of forces Eli Stove into a larger role. The reports coming out yesterday, shortly after we recorded the podcast, that he's kind of got a. It seems like he's nicked his knee a little bit. You, you think it's just a precaution? You you don't think it's anything big? I imagine that. Well, yes, one, I think it's just a precaution. That's what I've heard. And two, you know, I think that it's something that you do want to make sure a guy that you, you know what he brings to the table at this mm-hmm. point in his career at Auburn. So it's you, you would rather just give him extra rest, I think, uh, than than force the issue, especially coming off the injury he did. I, I don't think it's going to be something that holds him out of the opener. You think Schwartz could club it up? I feel like he could. He couldn't. Be, he wouldn't obviously wouldn't be able to catch passes but he could still do jet sweeps maybe return a punt i think it's just such a liability like it's going to be it's so much likely more likely one that if you rush him back the worst thing you could do with the hand is re-injure it but then i guess you okay it's protected that's fine you're not worried about that but holding on to the football with one hand and and like i I think that would be a real liability at times to not ever have that second Right. I mean, as far as, you know, could he take a jet sweep or a handoff once or twice a game? Like, he probably could. But I think the real value that he com- that, that, that comes with shorts when you put him on the field is the defense has to look at him and think, okay, what in the world is this guy doing? And I think that kind of puts him in a box, and I don't think he becomes as valuable. And so... Maybe see- not as valuable, but, I mean, the, the and I know we'll talk about constantly how Sean, Schor- Sean Shivers is basically the same speed as Anthony Schwartz, but... I I don't know, man. Even getting to see that, getting one or two plays with that speed, I feel like might be worth it. Obviously, health comes first, and and if he and the coaching staff or the training staff are like, it's too big of a risk to re-injure it, he should not play. But, I mean, if they can, I got to imagine they're going to try to get him on the field. Although, if it does turn bad, he he could redshirt. Right. I don't think. Obviously, worst case scenario. We're a month away, so like, it it seems like he could be back for that A and M game. Even well, it's it's the sixth now, so I mean, he's pushing right up against Mm -hmm. that A and M game, but it's still possible. If you say eight weeks, yeah. So I I think that's true. And it, you know, maybe he it may not be back by then. There, I don't think they're going to rush it back. And I think one of the things that Auburn benefits from this year is probably. I mean, we're, we're speculating a little bit because they lost their surefire productivity in Ryan Davis and Darius Slayton. But it does appear that this is the deepest wide receiver unit they've had in a while. So like if, if it's going to happen any season so far, this may have been this the best the year because Eli Stove right. will end up doing some of what he does now. I get it. Schwartz's elite speed and Eli Stove is, is very fast, but there are like, there just really aren't, there's not many players like Anthony Schwartz in college football. And I think there, there's also an element that needs to be discussed. I mean, he, he missed spring practice. He's now going to miss fall camp. And it's just, you know, th- this guy's not a veteran. I mean, he, he got some reps last year and he was able to make a difference to some extent, but you're not going to be where you should be at this point of your sophomore year with, with taking time off to run track and then also missing your, you know, your second fall camp. So I, I, I'm just skeptical of how much of an impact he can have this year and obviously that speed is going to help him do some things but as far as scheme and as far as you know understanding where he needs to be I I don't think he's going to be Auburn's number two or three guy when it's all said and done this year Painter mentioned Ryan Davis and as far as replacing that production I I mean obviously Auburn 
Ryan Davis had a very storied Auburn career. But as far as what he did on the field, that production has to be one of the easier things to replicate. And Anthony Schwartz, you got to have penciled in as a guy to really help you do that as far as you know, being active in the screen game in the uh, in the backfield and then and then on those deep shots, he's uh, you know a massive home run threat. Every time he touches the ball, th- it could be a touchdown. And I know that's theoretically possible for anyone, but uh, you got to think more so with him. I mean, if he gets a sliver of space, you know, he's ten yards down the field faster than you can blink. So, so I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, well, what Ryan Davis did as far as replacing that. It was all short passes, which is why he's like broken a bunch of records. Right. It's just like it, that. What he did was was extremely hard to do, and, and I've talked to him about that. He's like, dude, I hear that all the time. It, it, it's so weird to me, but um, and, and I agree with him. So I don't think that's something you can just replace. And I also think there's a certain level of like we just don't know. Like there may be someone like Matthew Hill may be every bit as capable as Ryan Davis, and because of the way the game seems to be trending with more and more passing, and with a guy like perhaps Bo Nix at some point stepping in, whether it's this year or not, like that record probably will get broken in the next five to ten years. What record? But also the 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 catch record? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just. So between Nick Marshall and Ryan Davis, like, is there another hot take we need to have real quick? Yeah, who else? Like, is Cam over? is Cam Newton like the sixth best player ever? No, I, I don't think. Like, I just, I, I think Ryan Davis was a very good player, and yardage, you know, what he does with the ball in his hands and after the catch, I think that part is very difficult to replace. I think that the scheme that he played in had a lot more to do with the number of receptions that he had than him being a superstar caliber wide receiver. I mean, the guy caught a ton of screen passes, which is no fault of his own. I mean, it's not his. Obviously, he's very good with the ball after the catch. He made some massive plays, but uh, unfor- I mean, fortunately for him and for the record, they got him the ball. And so I just think as far as that sort of production, I, I think that you know, that is something... I, I think it's much easier to find a guy to replicate that sort of production than do what... I mean, Darius Slayton w- was slotted to be doing. Well, which was what? Running the running the deep routes, taking the top off the defense, and catching the, the big, you know, those big long touchdown passes. I just think we would see what Ryan Davis did more across college football and at Auburn if it was that easy to do. Do you disagree? Just, just like the massive catch numbers, you mean? Yeah. I guess. I mean, I just... I mean, as far as a guy that's that size and that shifty and that athletic, for him to get hit that often, I mean, you just don't see that. I mean, Eli Stove was kind of the guy, kind of the favorite to to replace that. And it seems like he has a hard time staying healthy. I don't think it's his fault. I don't think there's any toughness to that or lack of toughness from Eli Stove. Yeah, some part. of it could be bad fortune. Yeah, and, you know, maybe Ryan just didn't get hit the right way, you know, fortunately mm-hmm. for Auburn and fortunately for him. But... You you just don't see that level of durability in that type of wide receiver to get that high of a volume, and I think that's special. I think what he did was awesome. Uh, I think uh, I'm not I'm not trying to say that I don't think what he did was awesome. Okay. I, I I don't I I think what he did was very impressive. I think he was a very good player. I just think from a what we what we are trying to project Auburn, you know, having the toughest time replacing, just replacing. Uh, like having a guy who does what Ryan Davis did or two guys that can do what Ryan Davis did, I think is more likely than them having someone that is as good as 
Darius Slayton was at taking the tops off of defenses. Now, if Darius Slayton could catch, I'd say he was much more difficult to replace in general. But, I mean, as far as finding someone to drop the ball twice a game, I can do that. You're listening to the Locked On Auburn podcast. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I saw uh, an article from Jason Caldwell of AuburnUndercover.com writing about what Marlon Davidson said about freshman defensive lineman mm-hmm. Jaron Handy. You're nodding your head. I think you know where I'm going with this. I mean, Marlon comparing Jaron to, to a younger version of him. And we saw what Marlon was able to do as a freshman and just kind of hearing and reading what Marlon Davidson said about this guy. I mean, calling him a dog, saying that he does things the right way, just comes in, wants to work, wants to grind. I mean, this is a a freshman that we hadn't heard a whole lot about. There was a lot of excitement when he committed right. to Auburn, a Mississippi guy. And uh, I, I think based on what Davidson's saying, I mean, you don't hear him talk about young guys like that. I think that sh- should be encouraging. And also, I believe he had really high praise for T.D. Moultrie also. So, I, I, you know, and I'm really fascinated to see if Handy – I do expect him to play, especially if Marlon's talking about him in that way because – Usually Coach Gardner finds a way to get some young guys on the field, especially if they're talented. They may not play a ton, but they'll get into that rotation. And so it sounds like Handy's in line to do that. And I think also Auburn fans should be optimistic because last year they had to spend a lot of time blitzing to put pressure on the quarterback. And I think if they have a more established, effective pass rusher off the edge, it might help the secondary and the linebackers some. So I think good news on the front of youth that seems to be showing out early and more good news for Auburn that it seems to have found, or at least Marlon Davidson seems to believe that uh, TD Moultrie has taken some steps forward since last year too. And then looking at uh, other guys that may have taken some steps forward, AL.com did a, did a breakdown of the weight differences from last year to this year. And Owen Papo has gained nine pounds. Roger McCreary has gained nine pounds. Michael Harris, the linebacker, is up 21 pounds from this time a year ago. And, I mean, you, you see those biggest jumps from those those younger guys, but a lot of the defensive linemen, I mean, Marlon Davidson, no weight change. Derek Brown lost seven pounds. Uh, There's there someone else here. Nick Coe lost, uh, I just lost his name, but he lost like seven or eight pounds as well. So what are y'all's thoughts on defensive linemen? I mean, do, do you want them to get bigger every year? I mean, Marlon Davidson, 278 pounds, moves extremely well. Do you think that's a, that's an ideal way for him to go into the season as? It seems like the goal was to get more lean, to lose body fat, and so I, I'm all about that. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to question Coach Russell too much just because they they spend so much time together. So uh, you know, that was the goal was to lose weight, like for because I get the idea of having really big, strong linemen. But I don't think Nick Coe is lacking anything in size. So if he's like <laughs> sure. Marlon Davidson and he's leaned up a, a little bit, I think that's nothing but good news. All right, the, the original reason I pulled up the story was because you mentioned T.D. Moultrie, and I wanted to see what his weight gain was. He lost two pounds. He's at 243. 
What do you think his role can be realistically with this stacked of a defensive line? I mean, I mean, it seems like he's just uh, just going to be an edge rusher. Really fast. Yes. Right. I, we're turn. We're changing topics from, from just a weight thing, and I have a little little anecdote. Go ahead. This is a little very off topic. Love do it. you know who the uh, the fullback at Michigan, Ben Mason? You guys heard of him? I haven't. No. Okay. So he was one of the best fullbacks in the country last year, like kind of took college football by storm as a fullback. Anyway, (laughs) as much as a fullback can. can. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to an interview with Coach Harbaugh uh, the other day, and he said that Ben Mason, the fullback, is up to 270 pounds and is going to be moonlighting as a defensive tackle for them at Michigan. Really? What was the Alabama's had a few of them most recently though? There was what was the player who was it Payne that was able? He played most yeah, of the defensive yeah, line, yeah. but they would occasionally put him in their jumbo See, packages. Like, but like that's more like I guess Payne was probably a little closer to three hundred pounds, but that's essentially what you're looking at as a guy like that constantly being on the field. Yeah, but it's like in that case, that was a defensive lineman that they'd like toss in in goal line packages. Like this is their fullback, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like out there, I'm guessing at oh, least sixty no. percent yeah, of the snaps or something. On a pro-style yeah. offense, that Harbaugh. So I don't know. I was just sorry. We can team well, if that, I mean, if that works out. That's amazing. I, and like, also, his athleticism is surely off the charts. If yeah. he's that big and able to keep up with linebackers who are 235 pounds or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and fullbacks play a lot at Michigan. Yeah, like if you're on, if you're the oh, starter yeah. there, I mean, you're you're kind of the designated blocker on a lot of those plays. So that's kind of funny. That's cool. Something to watch for. I was, yeah, I was just like, dude, can you imagine? No, I, I would just run away from any gap like, he was in. Because yeah. like Jay Prosh was sitting at what? Was he around 230? I think I'll usually I'll they're 240. Yeah, usually, I mean, I feel like usually fullbacks are like, 240, 250? So add 30 he wasn't pounds. He tall, though, I don't think. I think he was 6'1", maybe. I'll look it up real okay. quick. Just, I, I'll, I'll double check. I could be... He was 6'1", and at least they had him listed as a Texan as 256. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he... I was, uh, I, w- I was sitting in class one day. It was like the second class of the semester, and Jay Prosh came in with all of his uh, Houston Texans gear on and was trying to get into the class. And like Ricardo Lewis and Brandon King, those guys were in the class too. And um, the, 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 the teacher like strong-armed him. He's like, no, no. And this guy's like a huge human being. And he's just like standing up to him. like, no, no, we don't have room in here. We don't have room in here for you. And he just walked down. I'm looking at my buddies. And I'm just, we were in that class. You were in that class with me. Oh, was that with um, with Walden? Man, he was a, a good dude. But yeah, that, that's unfortunate. Were you in there for that? I only had one class with him, so if you had more than one class, it's no, possible. No, it, it was the then, class we were in. Then, yeah. It, yeah. We, All right. uh, does, okay, so this isn't going to sound flattering, but like just not obviously the mutation thing, but like doesn't he sort of remind you of the thing from the Fantastic Four? <laughs> Jay Prosh? Yes. Like, I, I mean, just as far as like Setting aside the fact strong. that he's like orange in the movie, like, uh-huh. like just a bouldery dude. Yeah, I get it. So he's anyway. a fullback. That's what you're trying to say. Yes, more <laughs> I mean, or less. Just, just a big, strong dude, right? But TD Moultrie also, like, I, right. so, I, I think that if he has the role we we expect he could, or or takes a step forward, or Big Cat for that matter, this defense to me is almost complete. Can you look up Jeff Holland's weight mm-hmm. his, his last year at Auburn? Because I'm curious to see how far away from 240 pounds he was. I don't remember him, but he was 6'2", 249 are his listing. So, I mean, uh, he probably fluctuated anywhere from 240 to 250. Yeah, and, and, you know, a lot of people talk about Jeff Holland and his ability to to rush the passer that year, but he was perfectly fine in the run game. I kind of kept expecting him to 
kind of get pushed around in the running game, and he and he wasn't. He, that really never happened. So, I mean, he, he held his own. So, can T.D. Moultrie do that is kind of my big question. And I mean, we, I don't think we'll know until, you know, halfway through the year. I mean, it'll really, really help him to have Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson inside. I mean, those guys are going to demand. I mean, Derek Brown's going to have to get double teamed every time a team's running the ball. Mm-hmm. And so, basically, you're going to look at one-on-one blocks on the edge unless the these teams that like to run spread offenses are going to bring tight ends down onto the line. Right. And, you know, in that case, he'll have backup from a linebacker, most likely. So, uh, I, 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 I don't know. Defensive line is tough for me being at 240. Like, that's my size. Yeah. You're listening to the Locked On Auburn podcast and just kind of looking through the, the rest of the offensive guys. Joey Gatewood lost four pounds. DJ Williams gained four pounds. He's up to 216. I love that for a running back. Anthony Schwartz down a pound. Cam Martin lost four pounds, which is crazy. But he, so, what does Cam Martin weigh now? Like one twenty five? Uh, he's no, he's a one eighty nine. He's he's a he's a smaller back for sure. But he's fast. You know, that's kind of his game. And they posted a picture of him on I don't know if it was the Auburn Tigers or the Auburn Football Instagram page. But he is a he is a lean dude. I mean, that guy. I mean, he's jacked for sure. Bo Nix has gained three pounds. He's up to two oh seven. Shedrick Jackson gained six pounds. Seth Williams up to 14 pounds, 224 pounds for uh, for that wide receiver. He's How tall kinda, is he? Does it say? I think he's 6'3". Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Uh, this is going back just a moment. Sorry to keep harping no, on the defensive line. And it it's sort of a made-up question, really, because you'd like to have both. But would you rather have another tackle next to Derek Brown, like Dontavious Russell was a guy that didn't get much attention but always commanded respect from an offensive coordinator – or what we were just discussing, a little bit more of a reliable threat on the edge, like T.D. Moultrie or Big Cat, bringing back what Jeff Holland brought a few years ago, where it's like, okay, Auburn doesn't have to feel so concerned about blitzing and getting pressure on the quarterback that way. Are we in this hypothetical? Is it like if you had to pick one, one hundred? Yeah, of the like time? if if you know that you're going to get the consistency. If I had to pick uh, one, one hundred percent of the time. Wait, I'll, do I'll, we still have Derek Brown? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, okay. I'm just saying. Like, do you get the consistency of Dontavious Russell, or do you get the stat stuffer of Holland? I'd rather have Holland. I'd rather have Holland. Yeah, because I mean, if you get a sack, it ends the drive. I mean, most times. I mean, if you get a loss, a six yard play, whether it's second and ten, or you know, or second and sixteen, or you know, third and twelve, like your your defense is probably going to make the stop. And Auburn may have, like, they may have both. Uh, I think yeah, Newkirk. Is, is really, I think, the question mark, and, and maybe Truesdale as well. But I was curious to know if there was a if there would be a preference. It's like I, I just, said, sort of a made-up question. I just think Derek, Derek Brown is going to be such a, uh, such a force there in the middle of the field that you don't really, not that you don't need, I mean, if you have a serviceable guy next to him, I mean, he might not have to be the most dependable guy. It could be a rotation of guys. But having Derek Brown in there is going to help out that other guy so much that the edge rusher just becomes much more important. Yeah, you're definitely going to have to game plan against this if Auburn has any kind of edge presence whatsoever. Because, you know, like you said with Derek Brown, I, I just don't know how you you can't double everybody. And so let, let's assume you double Derek Brown. I mean, I, th- I think he's the best player on this team. And you got, whether it's TD or Big Cat coming off the edge, Nick Coe coming off the inside, depending on, you know, if they want to stand him up or put his hand on the ground. I just... I don't see how you game plan around certain things unless you get a college quarterback 
that just really understands, you know, how to get the ball out of his hands quickly without having a predetermined read that Kevin Steele's defense mm-hmm. can't sniff out. And that's going to be I think tough. there's like four of them that might be able to do that. It's tough. It's like, I think, and it's all the guys. And they're going to get drafted. <laughs> yeah, it's like Trevor Lawrence and Tua and possibly Justin Herbert. And like some of Herbert, I'm not even sure about his intellect. Like I'm not... I really don't know. I'm not. People are impressed with his his physicality, physical traits. right? So right. I'm I'm just not going to speak on where he's at in terms of his scheme because I don't know. But like we know, Trevor Lawrence, as ridiculous as it is, can do it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Tua is there, and I think he also has the receivers in the offensive line yeah, to help him out. So like there may be three to five guys that can do that, right? right. Oh, and like even Jake Bentley who. Fine, like maybe after going into his fourth year, he might be in a position where he can do that, but then does he have the weapons and the protection? Team. Right. Bad team, right. I have two questions for you guys. The first one's meant to be like very quick, though. Um, would it surprise you if we found out that Tua like really doesn't make very many reads? Uh, it would not surprise me. Like, like we all throw Tua in. I mean, I do the same thing. We all assume that he's a really, really good quarterback who can do all this stuff, but I mean, it, it should be noted. He does have three of the best wide receivers. I mean, he's got Jerry the best. Jerry Judy may be a top three pick yeah. in this year's draft. I mean, he's yeah. got, and the line has always got one or more guys yeah. that are getting drafted. So, yeah, I mean. So if he's making less reads than, than, you know, what a lot of people think, it wouldn't surprise me. But I still think he's elite wherever he goes. Like, yeah. If he played for anybody. He's a first-round draft country. pick. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't hurt that he's also got the most talent of anyone, maybe besides Clemson. And I would still argue yeah. on paper that because of how long they've been recruiting at this level, that Alabama still has a slight edge. Yeah. What's the second question? Um, while we're talking about defense, do you think – I mean, I, I think right now the prevailing theory is that Owen Papo is going to be in that fourth linebacker role. Maybe not in the starting three, but definitely going to get subbed in, going to get playing time. For sure. Do you think we're going to see a bunch of him on third down? Because or maybe kind of a third down specialist role seems logical because because right. of his speed we hear about the speed all the time. I'd love him in dime. I'd love for him to be the only linebacker in dime. Justin Ferguson a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. your co-host also writes for the Athletic, talked about how they're going to possibly trust him to be that dime backer. And and I talked about this too. I mean, if he's your third linebacker and you don't want to go nickel for whatever reason, and he has the athleticism to move like a nickelback does. And so I, I think it allows you to do more in pass coverage. Yeah, so that, that's what I was thinking also. And, um, you know, potentially as a blitzer. I mean, with the, with the speed, I mean, if you can get right. – if, if we're not seeing Auburn get pressure from the edge, just having your defensive end hold up the tackle and enough, for enough time to get, uh, get Papo coming off the edge yeah. around him on a, on a blitz, I feel like that would – I mean, obviously we haven't seen him play. I I have not watched him in practice or anything. I don't know if he, I think he's going to be good. What he's going to be good at, but who's going to be the starting linebacker? You think, like the number one guy? Yeah. Say his name. Oh, KJ Downhill Britt. <laughs> I do think. I Justin, thought it was a trick question. No, like, no, it's not. Speaking of Justin, like he's been beating the drum because we're talking about Britt a lot. Wooten, of course, gets mentioned, but it sort of feels like it's, it's almost a, a default. But yeah, like McLean is yeah. a guy that. Because everyone's excited about a five-star who seems to be extremely coachable and has every athletic tool you would desire. But apparently McLean has been tearing it up. and He was a four-star, I believe. And people describe him in like really unique ways. His teammates always find odd ways to praise him. So I think he's the one that's not getting talked about. Maybe he's not getting talked about because they think he's already locked into his starting spot. He, uh, he gained five pounds. He's at 210 pounds. So you like that. You like that. I like my linebackers around 220. I wish I was 210 pounds. 
You would look so good. Me too. You would look so good. I think I'd look like the thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Where can people find you and hear you, Michael? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CouchPapTato, and you can hear me after the game, live from Skybar with Dan Peck. Listen to Justin Ferguson and me from 11 to 1 on the lunch break. That's ESPN 106.7, ESPNAU.com, and the ESPN 106.7 app. I'm at Paint Sharpless on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Z Blackerby. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Auburn. Tweet at us any questions, comments, concerns. We'd love to hear from you. We will see you tomorrow. This has been another edition of the Locked on Auburn podcast. It's the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day.